Growing Up, our brand new resource for churches and parents is out now. Woohoo! With Sunday school sessions, training videos, podcast episodes for parents and one for the whole family. All there to help our children navigate the confusion, filter the messages they're surrounded by and hear God's good story. All our Growing Up resources point to the Heavenly Father who loves our children even more than we do and has the answer to their biggest questions about who they are and how to live. Together, as families and churches, we can support each other to start good conversations about bodies, gender and marriage so our children can grow up hearing God's good story. Head over to the website faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up. Fish finger sandwiches. Yeah. Nothing says Christmas like a fish finger sandwich with tartar sauce. I'm happy to jettison the turkey. I, I, I once splashed out on a very expensive turkey and it was fine. It was not worth the money. But I think the bit that's particularly frustrating is, is when you've got all of the nine vegetables and the stuffing and everything on the table, the endless passing... Sorry, can you just pass? I don't. I, oh, I don't have sprouts. Can you pass me the? Sp- okay, I don't have. Uh, okay, what don't I have? I don't have red cabbage. Is there a red cabbage? Oh, sorry, it's just coming round. It's just, and you can sit there for twenty minutes as everything gets cold, um, as everyone's passing, and no one's going to start until everybody's ready. That's quite painful, especially if you're the one that cooked it, which is the case for me. Is just, I want people to eat it while it's hot, because getting it hot at the same time is hard. So anyway. Hello, welcome to the Faith in Kids Parents Podcast. It's the Christmas edition. We're back to the old days. We've got Jam and Amy. How are you doing, Jam? I'm great. I'm excited. I have increasingly love Christmas <laughs> since having children <laughs> and it's had all the right effects on me. <laughs> Amy, how are you? How's Christmas? Oh, Christmas. Christmas is well underway. The first slot of needles is already fit, falling off the tree and getting stuck in your foot. A sure sign that the celebrations are kicking off. We thought we'd do something different today. If you want to listen to Five Live Fighting Talk, you can. But essentially, it's just a group of grown adults who are all excellent at sport, making funny jokes about sport. We're all excellent at sport, but we're going to choose to talk about Christmas and uh, what we love, what we hate, what we what we look forward to and what we secretly worry about. So we're going to do all of that and let's see how we go. Uh, Jam, just to start, though, you and I have been busy creating the Faith in Kids podcast series. So for the avoidance of doubt, Jam, what is that series? Where do we find it and how's it going? So it should be on the same podcast feed as the place where you're listening to this podcast. And we're looking at John's Gospel for a change. In fact, it's the first of a series of podcasts in John. I think we're going to do John Easter and Summer as well, because there's loads there and we've not really looked at it. And obviously, there's a distinct lack of Christmas in John. 
because we don't get any angels or shepherds or tea towels on heads or donkeys or anything. But we're leading into that and enjoying the weirdness and really mining it. So if you were John's agent pitching to me why John's gospel is like the best, you know, you should do it fighting talk style. We could have the noises. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. So my pitch would be that who knew Jesus better than John? John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He spent all of his time with his best friend, Jesus, who turned out amazingly to be the supreme being who was co-eternal with the Father and there at the beginning of the universe. So obviously that's quite a big thing to come to terms with in your best friend. And so there's a very strange and poetic beginning to the gospel that we're enjoying lots of light and life and becoming children of God and dwelling among us. So that's what we're digging into. So very Christmassy, very carols at King's at Cambridge. And yeah, poetry, man, it's poetry. And I just want to put a, a, a pitch in that by doing it with children, I do think we're covering some topics that we wouldn't otherwise be bumping into. You could let us know how successful we've been, but to try <laughs> to cover before Jesus's birth was the eternal son of God, yeah. I think is is pretty ambitious. And I'd like to say, I think we're doing excellently. I think so. But our, e- our email inbox might tell us otherwise. I think John would love it. I think John would be saying people are far too, far too fussy about donkeys at Christmas. Can we get on with who actually came? I think it'd be all about it. Yeah, I like to think so. We have two Faith in Kids streams. You can find links to them on faithinkids.org. So you're probably listening to the Faith in Kids stream. There's another one called the Faith in Kids for Kids. And the idea being your children can disappear under their duvets and listen to that stream all night long to our whole back catalogue and not only find good stuff about Jesus. It's terrific. Now let's turn to Christmas. I'd love to hear, first of all, do you have an a favourite un-Christmassy Christmas passage? So that is, it can't feature the donkeys, the Mary, the Joseph, the shepherds or the angels. Where do you love turning to at Christmas? Jam, you get us going. I've only recently discovered this, but the more I think about it, the more I like it. It's not very Christmassy initially, but the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16 is... Not very Christmassy until you realise that it's basically Scrooge. Because at the end of that parable, and I think Dickens knew this, I say it's a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. At no point does Jesus actually say it's a parable. It could be that this is really what's going on in this world and the next. But what happens? The man, the rich man sees the error of his ways and says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And so he's basically wanting to send a spirit from from the next life, as it were, just like we get with Marley with Ebenezer Scrooge. But of course, that has a much happier ending because Ebenezer Scrooge sees the error of his ways. But here in this in this parable, as it were, he said, no, no, they're not going to listen to him. So it's a bit of a bit of a sterner warning, not terribly Christmassy, but I think there are Christmas overtones. Am I allowed that one? Jam, so, I'm, I'm not sure I want to be in the, in the Christmas carol service when someone stands up to read it. That, that would be the hardest hitting Christmas sermon anyone has ever heard. Yeah. Good for you, Jam. Amy, have you got a favourite un-Christmassy Christmas passage? Well, you see, I'm one of those people that had to, I felt the need to reinvent a new angle on the Christmas story basically every year that I've been involved in in doing these things, which has driven Ed crazy on many occasions that uh, we don't need to turn basically the donkey into a Mr. Man to get a new approach on uh, on Christmas. 
So um, I would say, so this year, my current Christmas go-to passage is a bit of a surprise. I'm going to Mark. I'm going to Mark and I'm going to the paralyzed man who is brought by his four friends to Jesus who ripped the roof to get their friend in at his feet. And because Christmas is when we all get things that we don't need. And Christmas is all about us being told what we should need. And you need to get this and you need to get that. And then the paralyzed man at the feet of Jesus, when everybody is expecting Jesus to heal him, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. So he gets what he actually needs the most in the whole world. A saviour. What we need the most in the whole world at Christmas is a saviour. And that is what we got. You don't need socks. You don't need sprouts. You don't need you don't need to look beautiful in a sparkly outfit or to have the most amazing Christmas dinner. You do need more than anything a saviour. Boom. There's my Christmas message for this year. The one who came. Nice. I, you two, you two have gone way unconventional, and for that, I'm grateful. Mine now feels you started it. Mine now feels very conventional. I, I've just gone straight for Isaiah nine, which is a Christmas passage. What my discovery about Isaiah nine was: it was written when God's people were were on the edge of military utter defeat. That they were they were about to be totally crushed as a people. So verse five, in that context, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Next verse, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. I love the idea that, that at a point at your lowest ebb, when, you're, when God's people are, is about to not be a people, you have this promise that a virgin will be with birth. I do think the drama of the moment makes it <laughs> epic rather than it becoming the slightly twee passage that it becomes in, in a trad carol service. I, I'd love to do the live action version of that. Wow. Am I allowed on more verse? Oh, okay, Amy, go. If I haven't convinced you on the paralysed man and you're still thinking, no, no, we need to go more Christmassy, I'm going to pitch you 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. You know where I'm going with this, Ed? No, I don't, actually. I haven't worked it out. Go on. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. There was a momentous year at a carol service when I dangled a plastic baby (laughs) from the roof and it came down on a fishing wire so that this was God coming to earth. And then we attached ourselves and we were lifted to be with him. This is why he came. And the audible gasps from the congregation as to how I had managed this levitating plastic baby, because in the sort of candlelit mood lighting, no one could see the fishing wire and everyone was amazed. So there we are. If you're looking for a cheap laugh or to impress your audience, just go with that fishing wire plastic doll, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. We're moving swiftly on, and I'm not going to repeat the rebuke I gave Amy for such a ludicrous visual aid. Okay, we're now going to do Defend the Indefensible. So I have picked a a statement I believe is to be indefensible. So it could be I've chosen one that listeners are thinking, no, but that's actually true. And I'm asking each of us to defend that indefensible position. Okay, Amy, you're starting. You have to defend the statement... The Chris Dingle is the high point of Christmas festivities. 
Well, who wouldn't agree? Who doesn't want to see a vicar or a children's leader in a large inflatable orange costume? Nothing says we need Jesus more than someone standing at the front as a big orange balloon. And let's face it, when children hold an orange and they think this is just like the world in my hands, nothing helps them understand their position as in need of a saviour than that. So an orange, a candle, some weird cocktail sticks and a red ribbon, and we all understand the gospel in an instant. Everyone should do one. Every church should have one. Blood, oranges, what's not to love? Yeah, I would say it represents the peak of uh, the pinnacle of the Advent uh, season where we look forward to Jesus coming back because during a Chris Dingle service, you may be saying to yourself, (laughs) come Lord Jesus, please come and end all of this. Yeah. And the number of ways that people explain to me how all the different things mean the things, it's obviously, it's visual, it's engaging. It's spiky with the cocktail <laughs> sticks. And there's and... always an opportunity that you might set fire to someone's hair. And who doesn't love a little bit of peril at Christmas? The smell of burnt hair is one of my favourite Christmas smells. Jam, it's your turn, Amy. You did that very well. Thank you. We're all convinced. Jam... Uh, please, will you defend the statement? Christmas jumpers represent the pinnacle of modern Christmas culture. Well, I I took some persuading on this until a few years ago, and then I saw the light that Christmas jumpers scream and shout Christmas. They're not classy. They're not clever. But then again, nor were the shepherds. So I think they are very Christmassy. And also the jumpers are made of wool. I mean, I'd imagine there's a fairly heavy acrylic mix going on there, but we're not going to worry too much about that. It's the symbolism, isn't it? It's the symbolism of the wool and the sheep and the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So I love the idea of a lamb in a Christmas jumper. Maybe we should think about that. But also as you're wearing one, you bring smiles and cheers to other people because you look like a total wally and you are being a fool for Christ. And we don't need to worry about how many of these are going to end up in landfill Because then future generations will excavate the landfill and discover how Christmassy this generation truly was and praise our Father in heaven. So I will happily defend Christmas jumpers as the pinnacle of modern Christmas culture. Oh, that was that. Well done, Jam. Well done. I see you're wearing yours today. Does that say happy birthday, Jesus, across the front? (laughs) Uh, Ed, are you ready? Are you ready for your defend the indefensible topic? I'm very ready, Amy. Here we go. Food really should be an afterthought in our Christmas celebrations. If I had my way, the pinnacle of Christmas Day food would be the cold turkey stuffing sandwich at about six o'clock when everyone is absolutely exhausted and just sitting down with a hot mince pie. It seems to me that there are there is a group of people, and I believe some of them are with us today, who have Christmas Day lunch down on a spreadsheet minute by minute from the moment they get up to the moment they go to bed. And therefore, it is stress free. Back of an envelope, not spreadsheet, but sure. <laughs> but my own personal experience, not wanting to name any names in my life, is that Christmas lunch has the biggest arguments of the entire year due to what gets peeled by who, when, are we peeling carrots? Why do we need to peel carrots? Who's making the gravy and how are you making the gravy? And if we just missed out Christmas lunch and instead just had a few extra mince pies, our day would be so much more Jesus-centred. Go Japanese, KFC. (laughs) 
And that, that's true, isn't it, Jan? The whole of Japan eats KFC on Christmas Day lunch. I believe so. I believe so, a more Nazarene diet would be in following the footsteps of our saviour that we should have We should have sardines maybe or just like fish finger sandwiches because Jesus was a big fish. Oh, fish finger yeah. sandwiches. Nothing says Christmas like a fish finger sandwich with tartar sauce. I'm happy to jettison the turkey. I, I, I once splashed out on a very expensive turkey and it was fine. It was not worth the money. But I think the bit that's particularly frustrating is is when you've got all of the nine vegetables and the stuffing and everything on the table, the endless passing. <laughs> Sorry, can you just... Pass, I, don't, I, oh, I don't have sprouts. Can you pass me the... Okay, I don't have... Uh, okay, what don't I have? I don't have... Red cabbage. Is there a red cabbage? Oh, sorry, it's just coming round. It's just... And you can sit there for 20 minutes as everything gets cold, um, as everyone's passing and no one's going to start until everybody's ready. That's quite painful, especially if you're the one that cooked it, which is the case for me, is just, I want people to eat it while it's hot because getting it hot at the same time is hard. So anyway. Well, you see, Jam, I'm a, I, I'm a firm believer in reglaze the plates so you, that the plates have to be like cooked right. so that you can barely touch them. Nobody gets a choice of what is on it. Right. It is served out. There are no sherry dishes. It is on there. If there is something on someone else's plate that you want and you haven't got, you take it. And if there is something on your plate that you don't want, you pass it on. And that's what happens. Go. That is so Amy. I love this about Amy. <laughs> a- Amy is a, is essentially a food parenting fascist. And I love that about her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We may have already touched on it, but I think the time now is to get onto room 101 for Christmas traditions. Maybe endlessly passing food around. I mean, in a way, what could be more sharing and wonderful and communing over food than that? But be honest, what would you put in room 101 to vastly improve Christmas? Amy? I'm I'm doing two. (laughs) I'm doing two. So first into room 101 are churches that have no Christmas decorations. So I grew up in a quite reformed, strict church and basically a Christmas tree was the road to Rome. So there were no candles, there were no Christmas trees, there were no anything. We were allowed some we were allowed some paper chains for the Sunday school Christmas party, but other than that, no. Wow. So I now live in a world that is entirely packed with fairy lights and uh, and Christmas trees as a response. So I think churches without Christmas decorations or anything Christmassy is a big boo. Yeah. And the other thing I want to put in room one on one is boxes of chocolates. Oh. Milk tray, those weird like seashells that are supposed to be made of Belgian chocolate or something. Rubbish. I don't want them. Don't give them to me. Just give me a multi-pack of dairy milk or a multi-pack of like proper chocolate bars it's just plastic trays. It's just faff. It's just turn it upside down, they all fall out. I throw them away when they're out of date. Just buy me bars of chocolate, please. Ideally the size of a front door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay, Ed, your room 101. Mine is Father Christmas. Whoa! Oh! <laughs> I, <laughs> look, I, in, in, my experience of Father Christmas is this. 
for the first like four or five years, your children are freaked out by the idea that you're totally fine with a stranger climbing into your house in the middle of the night, going into their bedroom without you and leaving presents and you don't know what the presents are. So honestly, in my family, we the children sat me down and were like, Dad, I don't want this. And, I, you know, the lengths we had to go to to reassure them that we were going to keep them safe they were not in danger and he was going to be caring and the presence would be good. Okay, after we got through that moment, you then very quickly move into do not tell anyone at school that he's not real because if you are the class pooper, I'm in so much trouble. Nothing ruins your primary school reputation like having the child who announced to everyone that Father Christmas is their parent. Wow, Ed. And then we've also had the issue of the child who's like, eight and still believes in Father Christmas. No, he doesn't. He just wants more presents. (laughs) And it just, I'm convinced that my child is not as clever as you think he is, Amy. And and I'm like, please, can we just tell him the truth? Yeah. I, I, you know, I have nightmares about a 37-year-old son who's going into his office saying, (laughs) what are you all going to get from Father Christmas? Ed, do you remember the conversations we had when I told you I thought that my daughter would go to university in (laughs) pull-ups and you told me it wasn't going to happen? I can tell you it's not going to happen. <laughs> I I just I just believe there is a window of about four days in a child's life when Father Christmas is a genuinely good idea. It's not long enough. It's not good enough. Amen. <laughs> no, not amen. I'm going to defend. That's why we we ne- we we've never pretended he's real in our household. We said from the very beginning. He's not real, but it's fun to pretend because neither me nor my wife appreciated the uncertainty. Discovering that he's not real and feeling stupid. My wife didn't like the idea, like you said, about a stranger coming into her bedroom, all that kind of stuff. So, wow, we've, we've, we went, we went reformed regulative principle, uh, like Amy's old church in the old days. Seriously, gentlemen, seriously. Can I just tell you, you got sucked in very early to this being a logical thing. No. So I, 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 I went straight out and very early with my kids of, we do this and they go by the by the fire and no one comes in your room and he leaves your presence. I have no idea how it happens. Don't ask me questions. Just enjoy it. Because I think, this is my defence, I think it is important for people to understand something greater and more mystical than themselves because that is Christianity. Yeah. That is understanding something greater that you can get your heads around, understanding something wonderful that you've only got a taste of that one day will be so much bigger. And that, yes, okay, we then start to realise that maybe this wasn't it, but we started to get a bit of a taste of the something wonderful that we don't quite get our heads around and we don't know the answers to, but it turns out to be great and worth it. Wow. There you go. Good good repost. Ed's just put in the chat. <laughs> Jam, do yours or she'll just keep talking. So It's true. I'm torn between three things. One is eggnog, which is obviously disgusting. <laughs> the second one is tinsel, which just looks terrible. But the third one, because I'm a comedy writer, is jokes about sprouts. Sprouts used to be bitter. A long time ago, they were hard to grow and they weren't very nice. They're now really nice. Lots of people like sprouts. Jokes about them, I don't think are terribly funny. So that's why probably my room 101 is thinking you're funny by making jokes about sprouts. That would be that would be my one. Wow. Sim- nice and simple. No further questions. I don't think anyone has a problem with that. Can I, 
Jam, would you be willing just to tell us one such sprout joke? Oh, just that they're not very nice or, oh, no, we'll have to eat sprouts kind of stuff. Oh, I the, see. Okay. Is it also like making jokes about like, you know, after dinner wind when you say, oh, that'll be the sprouts. <laughs> is that also not allowed? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't mind in, intra-family jokes about wind, I think are okay, but I don't like them okay. outside of the family. So just just as a quick vote... Can we just quickly say, on a scale of one to ten, how much do each of us like sprouts? Okay. Personally, I'm like a nine. I just think they're genuinely delicious. Jam, where are you? Six and a half. Okay. Amy? I'd 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 go eight and a half. I'd like I think they're they're a good balancing act on the Christmas plate. <laughs> yeah. Very good. I like them. There we go. We're moving on now to our guilty Christmas pleasure. Okay, so this is where we just get to say out loud the one thing we love about Christmas and it's okay for us to be totally alone in the world on that view. Okay, a guilty Christmas pleasure. You can say it here. No one will ever find out. It's our little secret. Amy, what's yours? I feel like this might be about to get me excommunicated from a certain brand of Christianity, but I really, really like wrapping up Christmas presents whilst watching the Vicar of Dibley Christmas special. <laughs> I have been likened to said Vicar of Dibley by a number of mums at the school gate before. I'm not quite sure why that is. But yeah, I think I just love that. I've watched it a lot of times. Uh, she, she eats all those Christmas dinners. I would do the same. I would say yes to try and please everybody. And that would be me. So uh, yeah, female vicars at Christmas. <laughs> my guilty pleasure jam tell us what's your guilty pleasure i don't know really i I, i'm just going to say some things i really like which is the snowman for example i watched that most christmases and then i watched it with some of my kids two with one of them i think when they were slightly too young and it's devastating at the end oh it is it's basically a program about death yeah it's not actually about christmas it is about death (laughs) i really like white christmas the movie with bing crosby and I also... I don't think you should feel guilty about any of these things. <laughs> okay. One of my favourite Christmas songs is Merry Christmas by The Waitresses. Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. I know some people find that enraging. And of course, Don't Let the Bells End by The Darkness always brings me great cheer. And my kids really like it as well. But I don't quite think they know that it's slightly rude. But anyway... Um, so I don't really have any, I couldn't really think of any guilty Christmas pleasures, but Ed, I'm sure you've got dozens. Uh, my big one is absolutely hideous Christmas trees. I I despise people who make their Christmas trees look beautiful. Christmas trees are made for children and families and mess. So we get out every decoration our child has ever made in primary school badly. I, I am I am a fan of tinsel precisely because it's hideous. Right. I like I want I want no part of my tree to be colour coordinated or beautiful or attractive or appealing. I want mess. Because it's 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 for me the memory of Christmas past. There is a decor like I'm not going to go through the list of my favourite decorations. None of them make sense. None of them are beautiful. <laughs> but every time I put them up and look at them, they make me happy. And and I would place my Christmas tree over everyone else's in the whole world. Okay, I think the day this episode drops, you're going to be at my house and you will see our <laughs> Christmas tree. And my daughter, who is now 14, is really, really creative and good with colour and all that kind of stuff. And our Christmas tree will be probably really nice and you're going to hate it. 
Oh, well. <laughs> it's not competitive. So, Jam, we've suggested the stuff that needs to go in 101. We've defended the indefensible. We've showcased a different Christmas passage. Have you been convinced by anything that we've said today? Is there a takeaway for you? Are you going to go and watch the Vicar of Dibley Christmas special? Um, I'm not, although I am actually recording a podcast. For my other podcast called Sitcom Geeks, we are doing an episode about what makes a Christmas special special. special. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Nice. And one of the things that you have to have, whether it's a movie or a sitcom, is there has to be a Christmas miracle. There has oh. to be a supernatural event. Otherwise, people feel sort of shortchanged. So anyway, that's a whole new thing that I didn't really mean to to get into. (laughs) I really do like Merry Christmas by the waitresses, mostly the baseline of it. It's very, very pleasing. And I do quite like Michael Buble, but I think we've slightly overdone Buble in previous years. Um, So basically, Ed, you and I have convinced Jam of nothing at all. No. Nothing. (laughs) That's all. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I want to say, uh, I ha- don't think I've heard of any of the songs well, that go. Jam just quoted. So I, I secretly thought to myself, play back the podcast and educate myself on obscure Christmas songs. They're not obscure Christmas <laughs> songs. Simply having a oh, wonderful Jam. Christmas time. It's Paul McCartney. It's his Christmas special. It's the song that he did, you know, with wings, you know, post Beatles, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, Ed, we've convinced Jam of nothing. Have we convinced you of anything? Is there anything you now agree? Have I convinced you that maybe Father Christmas isn't only bad? Look, we're going to do Father Christmas every year. I have have informed four out of my five family members. That doesn't right. I'm one of them. (laughs) Four of us, I have told, including myself, we are going to announce that Father Christmas is not real this year. And the other three members of my family, it's as if I've just said, we're going to kill our family dog. You know, it's like, you're going to do what? I agree. I just think you're a monster. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Amy, what about you? What's your takeaway? I think my takeaway is, is I... I can't remember what you said. <laughs> well, Sorry. welcome to our world. No, I think I think my takeaway is that we could we should celebrate sprouts more and I am convinced that Christmas jumpers are here to stay and will will be on display in future museums and national trust properties as a sort of, you know, an exhibit that we explore what culture used to be. I th- I think they're important. There you go. Could I ask each of you to finish with what would be your Christmas prayer for your family or anyone else this Christmas? I'll share mine with you. I try to keep a lid on it, but my prayer is always, can we find a sense of gratitude in our Christmas? Can can we try to avoid it being a massive sense of consumerism or entitlement or whoever's got the biggest pile of presents, the better? So my prayer is always, can we feel more thankful than we are either selfish or jealous. That's my prayer. It's the prayer every year. So I think it, it's becoming a bit more of a rant than it is a prayer, but <laughs> I'll try to keep it a grace-filled prayer. Amy, do you have a prayer for your family or other people in your life? Yeah, I think it is. I do love Christmas and I think all the, the generosity and all the gifts and all the good things are there to springboard us on to a greater delight in in who Jesus is. And so I think I want, I want to feed off that and channel that into 
Isn't it amazing that at Christmas, God gives us what we needed more than anything. So I'm taking you back to my Mark passage. We got the saviour that we absolutely 100% totally need more than we need anything else in the whole world ever. And the fact that God has given us that is a reason to celebrate for the whole year. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Jam, do you have a prayer for Christmas? I guess my personal prayer is is for me that I actually stop working because I my office is on the side of my house. I work from home. I'm a writer. I've got some various bits and bits and pieces of work coming up, and I can just see myself sort of sloping off during the twelve days of Christmas, as it were, and just getting away from from members of my family who I you know we get on really well actually. But uh, equally, I just occasionally think I'm not very good at relaxing and resting. Christmas seems like a long time to not work. So I think I need to just enjoy the rest that God has given this season, even though, you know, we it's not in the Bible that you rest for 12 days at Christmas, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it is right that we celebrate and that we relax and that we stop wondering and worrying about everything. So that's something that I struggle to do. And I pray that this Christmas... I would be there and present with my family more than ever. I think men are particularly poor at zoning out, finding excuses to go go away, go out, stare at a screen, do something like that. So screens off, time together, fun times, walks, those sorts of things, shared movies, shared experiences, rather than everyone doing their own thing. That would be the one for me, especially as your kids get older and more more prone to amuse themselves because mine are now 14 and 12 so there's always that temptation to let them slope off and I just think Christmas is a time when you really can do stuff together a bit more and board games and movies come on jam yeah board games and movies get yourself in there we do the board games oh yeah thank you very much Amy and jam uh I'm pleased to have laughed and uh I'm also pleased that amongst Christmas jumpers and Vicar of Dibley <laughs> We're still loving Jesus's birth at Christmas. Mm -hmm. Amy, could you pray to finish, please? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that this time of year uh, represents for us to have conversations with our kids, um, for us to uh, celebrate Jesus, for us to talk about the things that that matter. I pray that you'll help us to, to find time, to find focus, to find moments, to spread Jesus all over and... And to just be so grateful for the saviour that you have given us. Thank you that you have given us what we need more than anything else in the whole world. Thank you for a saviour who has walked our walk, who understands us, who loves us and who does exactly what he said he would do, who saves us for all eternity. Help us to celebrate him this Christmas. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. The Lord is risen. I think you mean Christ is born. Oh, that's it. Sorry, Jam. He's done both, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Well done. Have a great Christmas. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.